Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lim with the Theotech Podcast. And today I'm joined by my friend, Hannah Eagleson, who is the Assistant Director of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship's Emerging Scholars Network. The Emerging Scholars Network is a digital first initiative that helps emerging Christian academics connect faith and work for the common good. And today we're going to have a conversation about how to integrate faith and science, as well as how student ministry has been impacted by the pandemic and how that's going virtually. Hannah, thank you for joining us on the show. Delighted to be here. Uh, so Hannah, let's go ahead and dive right in. What has it been like to be ministering to students when school in person is canceled? Yeah, you know, it's been a very complicated year, but also really an amazing year in terms of digital ministry. God has just done abundantly more than I expected this year in terms of ministry. For instance, if you had told me in March that I would soon be co-hosting a digital dinner party with over 500 faculty members of many different beliefs talking about faith and science issues together across the country, I would have been shocked. And yet that's what was happening by July wow. in one part of our ministry. And that's only one of the many stories of transformative digital experiences this year. You know, it's a very difficult year for everyone and I don't want to understate that but I'm just also stunned at all the reasons for hope that I've seen this year. And God is really doing so much. Hmm. You know, when I uh, was a student at the University of Washington, I remember that the way that I got connected to campus ministry was in the opening days of school, they would have, you know, all these booths out and you would kind of visit all these different places and clubs. And then you would connect with somebody from, for me, it was a crew, which was called Campus Crusade back then. What's that like now? I mean, how do you actually even reach new students and, if they're not already part of your relationships and network, what, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And my hat is off to my colleagues at Crew and InterVarsity and in undergrad ministry in both places as well, because they've just been so creative and the student leaders have been so creative this year. At InterVarsity, our overall tech and communications department rolled out an amazing digital campaign so they could connect with incoming students through Instagram and other online settings, and then get them connected with the local groups. Mm -hmm. And they provided some really clever graphics, branding, and other materials that were very easy for local groups to use in their own digital presence. I was very impressed with what they were able to provide. And then there have also been some great connections as people chat with each other and it's a little bit easier in some ways to connect with alumni of your group right now because they can drop into a digital event and it's been also pretty easy to get wonderful speakers and collaborate with other ministries to have a great talk where you know before if you wanted to have someone speak at your event you had to fly them in they had to have time to be flowing in etc there have been some really amazing connections where people have been able to get someone with a big following to speak and to address something really important. There's been a lot of creativity and I'm really amazed and delighted by what I see there. Wow. So for that, uh, that luncheon, you said that digital lunch that you hosted with 500 scholars, how did that all come together? How did you pull everyone together and what motivated them to show up if it's, if you're not going to provide the food at the lunch, I'm guessing, or maybe it's virtual food. <laughs> what, what was the draw for people when there's not like the actual meal there and, you know, the milling about rubbing shoulders with everybody? What's that like? Yeah. So this is a really cool project called 
the Roundtable on Science and Religion, and it's multi-site. It's on a number of different campuses in the U.S. The first one started in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and has been going, I think, around 15 years at this point. And the idea is to gather faculty around a really lovely dinner in small groups. They hear a speaker or two address a big question related to religion and science, and then they have a chance to listen to each other, share their own opinions, and have a really deep conversation, often with people who might have a really different worldview. I think this is something people of faith can provide for campus communities, is the Mm -hmm. space to dig deep into questions and to listen well. And so it's a great project to start with. This wonderful Christian Study Center at Cornell Chesterton House was launching their roundtable initiative this year, and they hired me to do the launch. Of course, we were last January planning to do this in person where we would get a nice venue, have beautifully served dinners, and get everyone in a room together. And it became very evident around March or April that that was just not going to be a possibility this year. Uh, And so we started talking with the other sites in the project and saying, is there some digital version of this we could do? And because I've been doing digital ministry for six years with InterVarsity, I was very optimistic about that. And we actually did find a way to send nice dinners to people's doors. Wow! So it was really exciting because there were local coordinators at each site. We were able to basically have those local coordinators invite people to one big digital event. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got two fantastic speakers and they addressed the question of what does it mean to have intellectual humility and why might that be an advantage in the university? And then we broke them up into small groups online and we sent them dinner gift cards. And because it was a also uh, had local sites, each site coordinator figured out what's the best way to deliver a nice dinner in this area and sent people that one, whether it was Grubhub or something else here in Ithaca, we used a local one. So it was a really amazing experience to be able to do literally a, a digital dinner party. Wow. And We really had a great time being able to incorporate hospitality in that way. And I think the reason that faculty were so excited about it is faculty really always need someone to be making the space for them to pursue the big questions that got them into being faculty in the first place. Mm. But also, you know, it's a very complicated, busy job. Faculty don't always have time amidst their many responsibilities to dig into those questions. And I think even less so this year, because, you know, since March, faculty have been adapting their courses to online format. They've been coping with lots of adjustments to their usual planning and schedules and trying to support students literally across the world in so many different time zones. And so I think by summer, um, they really wanted that social connection with other faculty and that chance to spend a little time diving deep into, oh, yeah, what are the questions that got me into this career in the first place? And it was really wonderful to be able to supply them with a nice dinner so they'd have a little more time, wouldn't have to cook that night and could kind of really focus on these ideas and the time together with other faculty members. That's very insightful. And uh, out of curiosity, do you find that it was actually easier to organize a digital dinner party or harder than a real event? I'm sure it's maybe more affordable because you don't have to pay for the space. Did you find it to be more challenging to organize a digital event like that, that still has a really delicious meal and a good speaker? 
You know, I think in certain ways it was a little bit easier, which I didn't expect, honestly. I thought it might be harder, particularly because I just wasn't sure what recruitment would look like and how much effort we'd have to put in to convince faculty to give it a try. Mm -hmm. So I was really pleasantly surprised when they started signing up in huge numbers. That is fantastic to hear. Uh, As part of our work at Theotech on church digital transformation, we're trying to get examples like stories like that of what the future of church could look like even post-pandemic. And hearing your example, I think is very doable. Like it's possible to have a regular way to have meals together that are distributed to you know people's homes and just hop on a Zoom call together at the same time or something and have fellowship that way. That's interesting. So let's go ahead and dive into the main subject that you were actually talking about at that event and in your actual work. I, I know that there's a book that you wrote called Science and Faith Student Questions Explored, which was published in 2019. Could you go ahead and kind of introduce the topic to our listeners and why it's still so relevant today, this uh, tension between science and faith? Absolutely. So the book kind of really emerged out of conversations with another university leader. And he kind of said that there's lots of great faith and science material out there. And there is, there's so much wonderful stuff. But he said one thing he had a challenge finding as someone who is a leader was sort of very plug and play material. So you pull the book off the shelf and you can lead a good discussion on faith and science, even if maybe as an university leader or a local pastor, you may not be a scientist yourself, Mm. but you want to support the scientists that you know in your ministry. And so we kind of designed the book with that in mind. How can we make a rigorous but approachable book that's really easy to use, but gets us exploring big ideas about the faith and science questions. And so we actually kind of crowdsourced some questions from InterVarsity grad group. It's built around actual questions that grad students were asking. And then we looked to our network and we said, okay, who are the theologians and the scientists we know who think well about these things and who can engage deeply with them? And we asked them to write essays that explore the questions that seemed most pressing to the students we were working with. And I think that one thing that was really on my mind as we were putting the book together was how can we have an approach to faith and science that is very inclusive and gets a lot of people involved in the conversation across different theological expectations or different views You know, at the time I was thinking of that question, especially in terms of origins, because in InterVarsity we serve folks coming from all over the spectrum on the view of exactly how God created the world and, you know, precisely how should we interpret Genesis. And so I was thinking about how can we make space for really good conversations that will help Christians listen to each other and learn from each other And so the way we approached that section of the book where we tackled origins, which is one of the more controversial faith and science questions for most Christian communities was to say, okay, we invited someone to write just an article about how do we engage tough questions well, like when we've got disagreements, uh, what's a good way to approach that? So that's kind of the opener in that section of the book. And then we invited another expert uh, who's an university press author to kind of just walk us through what are the different Christian takes on creation and evolution? What are the different Christian takes on how God created humans? 
And those sections are set up basically to help people understand their own view better and understand other people's view and listen to it. And, you know, we hope people come out with more clarity on what they think, but we also hope that they come out with a deep engagement with their community and a charitable conversation that helps them understand other people better. And I think for me, I found that's a really key posture with all sorts of faith and science questions, uh, including as I've thought about the ones that the pandemic raises more directly. That's something I really strive for and aspire to. What do you think makes for a charitable conversation? Because I think many people say that our civic discourse and civil discourse has just kind of become uncivil and social media and technology have exacerbated that because of the ways they're optimized to promote things that you might like or that might get a reaction out of you that make you angry. So you engage more of the content, which drives their business model. How do you create that kind of charitable environment, both digitally or in a book form or you know, in these different spaces when it can feel overwhelming, it can feel like, there's no space for that. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, that's something I struggle with sometimes too. For me, a couple of things have emerged. I think one is really listening to others. And, you know, I think one of the great things about listening is you can do it even if you strongly disagree. (laughs) You don't, you know, the gift of listening is a gift you can give even if you land somewhere very different than someone Mm -hmm. else. And I believe there's also some social science that suggests that actually in conversations about contentious issues, listening really does help people make progress in having a good conversation with each other. There's so much to being a good listener and it's it's kind of a skill we can keep practicing over our, our whole lives. You know, one thing I've learned from a Christian scholar named Catherine Hayhoe is also to find the place where there actually are shared values if you can in a conversation. So Catherine does a lot of work translating her research on climate change into evangelical communities. You know, I'm not trying in this conversation to convince your audience one way or the other on climate change, but what I'm pointing to is she's really good at bridging across communities. So as a climate scientist who does strongly believe that climate change is a problem we need to solve. She speaks with a lot of communities who may not believe that. And one thing she says is really helpful is figure out the places where you do actually share values. So for instance, I believe one time when she was speaking to a group of female professionals in the oil industry, she kind of started out with all the good things that fossil fuels have done for humanity. And, you know, and then she said, based on my research, I have these views about where we should go on that in the future. But that act of saying, okay, where do we share values here, I think is really helpful, you know, wherever you land on a particular issue like climate change and um, has also been something I've been trying to get better and better at it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you, you describe listening as one of the main skills in charitable, creating a charitable conversation. And I, I realized as you described that, I was like, oh, how about how about reading as a form of listening? Because I think that it's very easy in social media, like Facebook or Twitter or something, is that we're not listening, we're reading. And then when we're reading, it's easy to skim. And then we just kind of take the points that we dislike about someone, like what someone said, and then go after that. And it's just like, there's not that much space for careful reading or like to say, oh, what is this person really thinking? And have they have they built that rapport through their writing even in uh, showing that they care about my values? There's a whole other layer to that that I'm realizing because so much of this, when it's face-to-face, like maybe on a Zoom call or in person, you have your body language, you have so many parts of how you communicate that can show you care about the other person, even when 
you disagree. But in the digital format, when it's text, at least, and all you have is the bare words, which is great for clarity sometimes, but also like, whoa, you just lost all the nuance that would have made it sound like you love the person that you were disagreeing with. Can you talk a little bit more though about uh, what it is that, what do you see being that connection between science and faith and technology and faith? Like that kind of how they kind of feed into each other and maybe similarities or differences in, in the ways that uh, we have some tension, if not conflict, but just tension between you know these fields. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to kind of think about where do science and tech very clearly overlap? Where are we asking slightly different questions about them as domains of knowledge? Mm-hmm. And one person who discusses that in the book is Royce Francis, and he wrote an essay on how scientists can engage, who are Christians can engage Christian communities well around science. And he kind of wrestles a bit with, in a way, uh, in our very technological society, you're always thinking about science or at least how technological applications of science Mm -hmm. affect our day-to-day lives. For me, one of the things that's been really helpful. So I actually have a humanities background. My PhD is in Renaissance literature. Often, um, as I've thought about issues of science and technology and where they overlap, I have found it really helpful to listen to both science scientists in kind of the hard sciences fields and in the human sciences fields. And I feel like you can learn so much about how people uh, how the technology actually works from people in the hard sciences. And often that's really illuminating to how you're approaching a particular technology. Uh, And you can also learn so much about how people tend to use it from people in human sciences fields. And so kind of bridging those gaps and uh, bringing those communities together is one way that I kind of approach that question. I think it's also always incredibly helpful to bring practitioners and end users of technologies together. I love hearing, you know, the interplay there where someone's kind of saying, oh, I designed it to do this. Ah, but you're doing that with it. Okay, well, I might tweak it in this direction. So I'm always kind of trying to put together ideas of what we study and what we make and how that serves people in the world and how those things connect. What is it like for the people, like you work with scholars and do you find that many scholars have a lot of difficulty integrating their faith into their scientific research and work or do they, like, is there an internal tension that they feel is like, well, this is what I believe faith-wise, but this is what science, like what I'm discovering in my field. Like what's that kind of internal ten- tension like or is it not even there? Is it actually that, no, it's like, you know, Newton, uh, follower of Jesus and inventing and discovering all these fundamental principles of our universe. Is it, what is it like? for the people that you work with, the scholars that you work with? I think it varies widely for different scholars. I would say there definitely are still many scholars, especially early in their careers, who are really wrestling through, okay, I've learned these things in my faith community growing up. I'm deeply invested in my faith. It really matters to me. But this specific detail of what I'm being taught in graduate school seems to conflict with what I learned from my faith community. Is that, you know, is that an issue where one mm-hmm. is right and one is wrong? Is that an issue that really comes back to fundamental principles of faith? Or is that maybe possibly, if, you know, it's possible my faith community could learn a different interpretation of scripture and learn more about God in that way. 
you know, one thing that I'm always trying to do is create spaces at conferences and in written resources where people can wrestle through those and find different models of resolving those questions. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Newton. I think history of science is actually really encouraging for people who are facing those challenges because so many of the early scientists were believers and many uh, like Robert Boyle would be a really good example of someone who was very thoughtful about his faith and his science and uh, interested in how they went together. So I think that it's very encouraging to people who are struggling with, can these things fit together to look back and realize there's a really long tradition and people have thought about the specifics in different ways, but there's a long tradition of Christians thinking well about science and science communities being enriched by people of faith. So that's very encouraging. The other thing that I think is a big challenge for some folks is just that the early academic life is often very busy. And sometimes I've met people who feel like they should have some way of connecting their faith and their work, but just feel totally unsure how to start finding it. And, uh, you know, that, of course, you can still be a faithful person and not have a grand theory of how computer science and faith fit together or something like that. But for some people, that's very difficult because rightly, they want their whole lives to connect with Christ and with their beliefs. And I found, too, that just connecting those folks to conferences and written work and people who have different approaches to figuring this out is really helpful. That's one thing we do in our Scholars Compass devotional at the Emerging Scholars Network blog is we just invite people to talk about what are different ways that my faith and my work connect. And sometimes it is, I've got this grand theory of physics and predestination, uh, but other times it's kind of like, yeah, I realized that my field really needed someone to analyze these highly specific statistics and nobody else was doing it. And it was a way to serve my neighbors. And I love that range of how people connect those things. That's, yeah, that's really cool to hear because I think that the majority of people in the faith and technology world are probably in that second category. Uh, technology is changing so rapidly and it's, uh, you know, it's like perpetual novelty. You just can't keep up if you have to try to keep up. And it's so easy to use it in unexamined ways. I think oftentimes the conversation ends up uh, just boiling down to a lot of technology ethics, like what's right or wrong with it, because it's so applied versus uh, I think in science, it's about knowledge as an end in itself. And so you end up having very interesting other kinds of questions than what happens a lot in technology. But even that range that you described where some people start to view their work as just a means that they love their neighbor is, ju is you know, just as valid as trying to think through a, a system of thought that integrates what computer science tells us about the nature of God or something like that. You know, like the whole range is valid. And I think that those examples help inspire probably people wherever they're at to take a step in that direction. Cause I, I think I found that it's really easy to, to stay uh, with, to, to not examine that, that connection between technology and faith, just as it might be uh, for people in faith and science. Maybe it's actually harder in faith and science because it's kind of it brings up questions like right away up front, but with technology, because we just use it and we forget about it. Like the most ideal technology is the magical kind that you forget even exists, right? Uh, it's very easy to, for it to be mystified and for us not to look at it and think of it in light of our faith. So your examples are just, I think, encouraging to hear that that happens in, in people's lives all along their journey um, and that it's meaningful for them too. Like it actually helps them in their careers. It actually helps them in the science that they do to, to do that integration work. Yeah, and I really enjoy talking to people in tech about it as well. My brother is a programmer and I remember uh, 
you know, of course, as a programmer does the back end of things a lot of the time and mm -hmm. doesn't always meet the user. But I remember in one company he worked for, he did a field trip and met someone who was actually using the scripts he'd written to do something practical in the world. And he came back and the person was delighted and said, oh, this is making such a big difference in my life. And he came back kind of thrilled and surprised because he just didn't get to see that every day. But to me, you know, that's a really practical way that he was actually loving his neighbor through his job. And my brother's very thoughtful and he is very interested in big questions mm -hmm. like, how do you put the philosophy of faith and tech together too? But I, I remember that moment too, as a really excellent instance of how his loving his neighbor mm. made a difference for that employee and, and for him as he saw how excited she was about it. Yeah, and, and your, your point about also how the humanities brings the whole human element to it is just interesting because it, it even the conversations about AI today, AI, artificial intelligence and faith and stuff, it's really bringing up the question of what does it mean to be human? a lot of times. And, uh, and that's a humanities question. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, also the idea of ethics, even it's like, Oh, what is actually, what does actually human flourishing mean? And that's a humanities question as well um, to discern that and to, to have, you know, this expressions that we can then use the technology for instead of assuming that uh, the most efficient thing that we're optimizing is the thing that we should be optimizing. Like, what do you, what is, what is your view about that? Like, you know, there's STEM science, technology, engineering, math, and people talk about STEAM, uh, the arts, adding the A in there for the arts and the liberal arts, and you coming from your background, working with scientists, but also coming from your humanities background. What are you seeing in that kind of integration of all these things and also how they intersect with Christian faith, which I think is a witness to that holisticness? Yeah, I'll give sort of a general answer and then a very specific one about one way I'm thinking about that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and people can figure out which one is most useful to them to follow up on. But I'd say generally, I do think interdisciplinary conversations are so helpful. Just learning from each other across disciplines is really useful. Uh, in my own educational backgrounds, I did a master's degree at St. John's College in Annapolis, and you actually spend a semester reading classic texts from math and science, which at mm. the time, um, I probably shouldn't admit to this, but at the time I wasn't totally sure <laughs> that was going to be my favorite semester. Mm -hmm. uh, although I got some really wonderful learning out of it. Uh, but then when I went on and did my PhD, it turns out since I studied Renaissance literature and modern science was kind of emerging at that time, I wound up learning some history of science along the way. And later on when I started just as practically a part of my ministry work doing more to support scientists, I realized oh, all this time I've spent with history of science is actually really useful <laughs> <laughs> to what I'm doing day to day, which I never expected because I thought I would be a literature professor teaching, I don't know, Keats or something. And uh, so I think that's one example of how just being interested in learning from other fields is really helpful and creates the space to start deeper conversations. Uh, one very specific way that I'm thinking about uh, humanities and technology right now is going to sound a little odd probably, but I feel like the poet John Donne, who was writing in the 1600s, is actually one of the best thinkers on the theology of the internet that I've encountered, <laughs> though there are some wonderful contemporary thinkers on that whose uh, contributions are deeply valuable. But what's interesting to me about John Donne as he has this very deep sense that God made us as embodied creatures that connecting with the physical world as God made it 
and inhabiting our bodies is an important part of human connection. And one of the ways that he thinks about how humans are a community together is to think about how, uh, you know, we're descended from Adam, we're connected to Christ. And that's a bodily connection as we remember this time of year in Advent, Christ became one of us, uh, literally and physically. Uh, and yet at the same time, Dunn thinks about that connection as a deeply spiritual connection that still applies if we're literally on opposite sides of the globe. That still applies, you know, when Christ is not literally physically with us, but he's just as deeply with us in the Holy Spirit. And I think that um, Dunn has really been coming back to mind because one of the ways that he works through this idea is a book called Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions, mm. which he wrote when he was very sick and was afraid he was going to die. Uh, and so in it, he writes about how he feels, even though he's stuck in his room and, and part of the book, he's literally in quarantine mm -hmm. uh, and can't connect with very many people at all uh, physically. He writes about thinking about how he's connected to humanity all across the globe. He writes about being next door to a neighbor who's also sick and they can't talk to each other because they can't be in the same room, but he's praying for the neighbor. And there's this deep sense of community. And I, I think it's the text for this moment when we're engaging so deeply with the digital world as a way to connect with each other and trying to make sense of, oh, what does this mean? I think it's a both and thing where uh, God created us to be embodied. And yet there's this deep spiritual connection that is one way we think through what it means to connect digitally. So that's been a really meaningful way of reflecting on that for me over the past couple of months. That's amazing. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful tie-in. And I would not have known because I have, I don't really study John Donne, but to hear that even from back then, he created some beautiful art that speaks to our moment is really, really a testimony to the necessity of the arts and, and, and humanities, even amidst our technological world. So I also want to give you a chance, Hannah, to talk about this upcoming event where you share more stories like that about faith and science, free for students with a lot of different arts and science kind of conversations going on. Can you describe that for our listeners? Absolutely. So I thought it would be wonderful as we approach the end of the year to sort of gather folks together in a celebration of what God is doing in digital ministry. And, you know, partly that's an opportunity to give financially for those who can. And partly it's an opportunity to connect in person with folks you might not ever be in the same geography with and share some of what God is doing digitally. So I've kind of imagined what's it like to invite you into my living room for an Advent celebration digitally. So I'll be playing some Christmas carols on my Celtic harp. I'm going to send everyone a hot drink recipe that you can make if you want to. So it'll be a little bit like having a party together. I've also got some special guests who will be sharing things they find hopeful. One of them is Jennifer Wiseman, who's an astronomer. And Jennifer has actually discovered a comet, which I think is amazing. Wow. Yeah, so she is a really interesting person and she's going to share some of the things that she's found helpful as an accomplished scientist and also someone who helps convene faith and science conversations and is very good at that. My colleague, Angela Blancaflor, who works with our national evangelism team, and InterVarsity is going to share some exciting things that are happening in digital ministry this year around evangelism, and we'll have some small group connecting times. There 
there may even be a short poetic appearance of John Donne. We're still figuring that out. But. <laughs> well, I just love the creativity uh, that, that's coming into this, that's emerging with even like fundraising that, you know, you can do it personally for your work as the assistant director of the Emerging Scholars Network, but it's a model that many of us could apply as well for the different things that God's called us to. I kind of see that as like more of the future is it's more personal in our giving even because we're giving to support people that God has called to fulfill their vocations. I love the creativity and I wanted to share it also with the people who listen to Theotech podcast. It's brainstorming, sharing ideas and connecting people. And then I also hope that, you know, if you get sufficient support, maybe one day there will be an emerging technologist network, an ETN, an university or something like that, that can serve this really underserved population that's influencing the world so significantly going to places like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook, right? That they can also be thinking about how to integrate their faith in their work and technology really early on, like you guys are doing with grad students. We would love that. And we do have a subsection of tech-engaged scholars and grad students and love to connect with practitioners and professionals as well in our work with Emerging Scholars Network. So if you're interested in connecting further around thinking about tech in a Christian context, certainly love to hear from you and can point you in the direction of some resources we have and others too. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Great. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for being part of the Theotech podcast. For all of our listeners, if you would like to check out that event, it's coming up on December 15th. We're going to have a link in the description uh, of this episode. And you can also visit Hannah's website, which is hannaeagleson.com. Thank you for listening and a special thank you to our patrons. We really appreciate your support as we close out the third season of the Theotech podcast. And we've already got some great topics lined up for season four. God bless and Merry Christmas.